opinion. Uh, and that to me is what really matters. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know it's um, it's top secret, though, top secret. So sort of client privilege, which which I kind of, you know, lawyers, again, they're kind of torn on this one, because if yeah. I'm a lawyer giving advice and, you know, the understanding is that the client has privilege, even if it's the crown. So yeah. I appreciate the concern. I was wondering why they didn't do a more of, a, you know, re- at least release it to the commissioner so that mm-hmm. the commissioner could determine whether what parts of the advice could be waived. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freedom Feature. And I'm your host, Barry Bussey. With me today, I have Daniel Freiheit. And Daniel is no stranger to our program. Welcome again, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, Daniel, we're looking at uh, some uh, discussions this week with the year in review, 2022. It's been quite a year. What kind of lessons have you learned as a result of all that's been happening in the whole field of human rights and freedoms in this country? Lessons learned. That's uh, how much time do we have here? A um, <laughs> lot of lessons. That's a, that's a good question, though. At the end of the day, you know, as twenty twenty two is wrapping up, and what lessons can we take into twenty twenty three? I feel a lot of it is going to come down to um, you know sustaining the hope, sustaining mm. the hope that had had been uh, you know planted in January February, uh, the hope for positive change, you know not for a revolution, but just for a recognition. I think that things that had been done were not done great. You know, I think people are looking for, they have the hope of acknowledgement that, you know, that we could have done better. And I'm hoping that's the energy we need to bring into 2023. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, the, uh, it's quite fascinating. Uh, we get the two different views, right? On the one hand, we get hope as a result of what happened in, in uh, January, February. Uh, the trucker convoy. But then uh, there's this other uh, side out there, that other narrative that says, you know, these guys were a bunch of crackpots. And um, what do you mean hope? What what do you say to the naysayers? No, that's a good point because um, there was a point in the convoy when things turned and, you know, the pro the, everyone was asked to leave and, you know, um, and I felt lawyers had to be careful in that situation. You know, when the emergencies act was enforced for the first time ever, like, the lawyer's responsibility is there. It's very delicate, you know, because there is no, you're in uncharted waters. Mm. Uh, legally, what is the lawyer supposed to advise uh, when their understanding is that this wasn't, you know, from, you know, depending who, depending who you're listening to, um, what evidence there was to, to suggest it was a, a dangerous situation or, you know, that warranted the act. And, you know, that's still out there as, you know, t- to be determined. Mm. Um, but you're right. I think there has to be recognition that uh, the convoy did have um, a, a negative impact on some groups uh, in Ottawa. And um, the question is, yeah, to be to build a sustainable future, Canada, like in Canada, how do we um, find the kernel of the good, the, the big mm. the big kernel of good in that mm-hmm. in that protest uh, demonstration convoy, whatever you want to call it. Um, recognize that, yeah, it did have an, uh, a harsh impact uh, on others uh, and how to build on the good, but recognizing that it wasn't ideal for some. Yeah. And of course, um, from my perspective, at least from what I've seen, there's been a group of people that were living in Ottawa that uh, didn't like it, but yet there were others who were also in Ottawa who right. were down there, you know, on the street in the protest as well. So there's, 
and and yet, of course, the anti-protest um, got amplified. It seems to me, uh, looking back over the year, by the mainstream media. The anti-protest got over overlooked. No, they they got amplified. Oh, like the, their sorry. their points of view were amplified in the mainstream media. It seemed to me. Right, and that's the, that's a legitimate concern. Like I think you know, depending on what your media sources were, you got a very different flavor of mm-hmm. who was affected and what who whose negative impact was more important. Right, um, the, the, the what drove people to to Ottawa was a negative impact, which which is a real harsh restriction on people's ability to earn a living. Mm-hmm. Um, people who'd been redu- reduced to food stamps, like those people matter. But so yeah. do the people of Ottawa, you know, and, and yep. it's good to hear the stories that people, the honking, it, you know, that, that can be very loud and that can be uh, very, you know, arguably traumatic for someone with an existing, you know, mental health condition. Mm-hmm. Um, but who's, you know, who was more imp- impacted at the end of the day? How do you measure that? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's a difficult thing to measure. And when you have the media, that's clearly in favor of one side, um, you know. The mainstream media, it's, you know, it's difficult to, to get a full flavor of, you know, um, you know, who's, who who is more impacted by this on which side. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, as we've seen in the uh, public order emergency commission hearings, we heard the prime minister who I thought, by the way, did a fantastic job as far as his composure, uh, his presentation, he seemed to be very well versed. Um, mm-hmm. He he came across to me as very, um, you know, plausible. But yet at the end of the day, what he said causes me a lot of concern in that uh, even what he said, even if you take everything that he says at face value, it was a misreading of the act and of the CESA's act. And I was just wondering if you even thought of uh, his presentation or what you thought of his presentation. Uh, truth be told, the truth be told, I haven't seen his entire um, his entire testimony, mm. um, so I can't really speak to um, his interpretation. I, kn- I know they got an opinion, uh, and that to me is what really matters, mm-hmm. you know. And I know it's um, it's top secret though. Top secret, so sort of client privilege, which which I kind of you know lawyers again they're kind of torn on this one because if yeah. I'm a lawyer giving advice and you know the understanding is that the client has privilege even if it's the crown. So yep. I appreciate the concern. I was wondering why they didn't do a more of a, you know, at least release it to the commissioner so that mm-hmm. the commissioner could determine whether what parts of the advice could be waived. But in terms of, yeah, Trudeau's assessment and the CSIS Act, yeah, I don't, again, this is kind of like, um, I, I don't know the legal arguments one way or the other mm-hmm. about whether the definition, like I understand there's like a different definition they used for different acts or different thresholds. Yeah. The, the point is, the point is, at the end of the day, I think I've seen enough. I've spoken to enough people. I've mm-hmm. heard enough from law enforcement. The majority, if you if you survey the majority of law enforcement, and I trust law enforcement enough to to do a, a you know to get everyone in there and, and put it to a vote. Like, what do they think? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody nobody liked it, but was that really a situation that required the use of the Emergencies Act? I think. Most reasonably, most reasonable people, including law enforcement, are, are saying no, it wasn't. And it, mm-hmm. this, if this is the threshold for the use of that legislation, regardless of how persuasive you know the, the prime minister was, 
mm-hmm. then we've have to re- really as a people like you know the people of Canada have to do some self-reflection like regardless of what <laughs> our prime minister is telling us we have to do a bit of self-reflection on this so i'm just wondering daniel what you uh, so some other issues that have come up in 2022 uh, we've got the cpso um, mandates uh, wonder if you could just unpack that one for us Oh yeah. So what what I learned there um, is that the CPSO uh, imposed a mandate, imposes a mandate, a vaccine mandate on the public to attend in-person uh, council meetings, which I thought was very unusual, mm. um, given that the majority of institutions and establishments don't have a passport anymore. Like the passports are gone, right? Right. right. So why is the CPSO um, requesting passports for people to come attend? council meetings, which are open to the public. Mm. This is something that came to my attention, you know, as I, you know, try to liaise with some of the uh, members of these uh, institutions to that they, to understand their rationale for a lot of these policies and to to drive some important policy change, because Mm. I feel it's a, um, it's a domino effect and it's a coalition effect where different big organizations um, have mandates or have policies that feed each other in part of this network, right? And so the mm-hmm. fact that the CPSO still had this mandate on the public to attend council meetings was really disturbing to me. <laughs> so like, yeah. who, made the, who made the decision? Uh, you know, as a, as a corporate lawyer, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, where, where was that approved? Like, what was the, author, the, you know, the authorization process for that? But as, as a member of the public who just has, has a right and almost like a responsibility to attend some of these CPSO meetings, um, why are they still asking for this? And so mm. that was an interesting exercise. And, you know, I learned some interesting stuff about the CPSO and how decisions are made or, and, you know, it's very Now, what exactly are their responsibilities? The, what's the CPSO responsibility? Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. It's something I, I asked myself. It's like the, their responsibility is to, is to be transparent and let the public part, to see or to, um, to observe how, how they operate. So they are responsible in that regard to the public to um, to protect the public, to allow the public to uh, part, participate and to observe. Um, what exactly that means in the modern era, uh, especially in the era of COVID, post-COVID, mm-hmm. the, the opportunity that COVID has presented, a lot of these organizations are going online. And so they're allowing, you know, Zoom participation. But is it a Zoom mandate? Meaning there's a requirement now that all these institutions are going online. It's not the same thing. Um, they, they they lose a lot of the face to face value by um, by having things on Zoom, and they have a lot of power over people on Zoom that they don't have when it's in person. They can, with a click of a mouse, they can mute someone where you can't do that in in person. You know, yeah. when you're observing yeah. in person. So um, I think the responsibility is to the public to make sure doctors are um, you know being effective and held holding doctors accountable, and they're responsible to the public for allowing the public to participate in important policy decisions. And that's yeah. how their that's how their board's kind of established, right? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and um, so we haven't gotten any clarity with respect to that. In terms mandate. of what the, the, the mandate, <laughs> the mandate. I, I I try. I'm I'm still in the process of speaking to the CPSO on this, mm. and uh, it's it's a uh, it's a funny it's a funny mystery. So. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, another issue in 2022 was. Uh, the universities, the universities had um, uh, the vaccine mandates last year. A lot of students uh, came to my, t- came to me, came to First Freedoms to seek some help for 
doing exemption applications and so forth, um, had some very, very limited success. In fact, it, it seemed to me that uh, I, I was I was amazed at over the various, uh, maybe I dealt with three to five different uh, universities and colleges. And one of the things that I thought was amazing was the similarity of the uh, applications, but also the responses in denying the requests for exemptions. It was like, did they all have the same legal counsel or what? Uh, but, uh, but then we had this unique situation at the beginning of the 22-23 school year at the University of Western, well, it used to be University of Western Ontario, but now Western University, um, and uh, which, by the way, is uh, where I graduated with my law degree. Uh, so I know the campus quite well. But uh, here it is. They imposed a vaccine and mask mandate on all their students. And, of course, there was an uproar with respect to it. Uh, but just down the road in Fanshawe College, another large <coughs> institution didn't have any such mandates. In fact, as I understand it, it was the only university uh, in the province uh, that had a vaccine mandate for students coming into the 22-23 school year. Don't get me started. You're talking Western? That's my alma mater. <laughs> yeah, it's yours That's as well. Mater. So okay. I've, been very vo- I've been very vocal on this on, on, my, on my Twitters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went there for four years. I went there okay. day in, day out, okay, because I did the joint program, uh, law right. business. And right. it was paradise, man. And so I was very attached to that place. And so to see mm. them, uh, like a bike, I lived, biked along the Thames, like very beautiful campus. Probably beautiful. I, I love that campus. And Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I still remember the day I got my letter of acceptance uh, to go there. I got accepted in some other law schools across the country, but I chose Western first of all. It was my first acceptance. And then I was like, when I got there, it was just so majestic. I love the campus. Right. So exactly. And, and, but that's the body. And then there's the soul. Yeah, and the what body. happens yeah. in the soul, if the soul is putting mandates on these kids, man, that's where I kind of, I've, I've, you know, got to maintain my composure, but that, that to me was really un- unreasonable because the amount of people that affected and, you mm. know, the, not just the policy, but the, the vaccines itself, like they have side effects and they have, they're known now it's, they're, you know, they're not crazy common, but there's, there's some side effects that are now recognized that weren't recognized initially. And some of these kids probably didn't know why they had some symptoms that are now recognized. And I raised, right. and those, some of those symptoms are uncomfortable for people to discuss publicly. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, you know what, folks, you got you got to email the secretary directly. If, if you're, if you have symptoms and you want these policies off, you have to, you're going to have to grin and bear it and go a bit, a bit public. And so you need to, you know, use your UWO account or identify yourself as a student, or even if you're doing it as a member of the public or an alumni, like I did. But the point mm-hmm. is that policy really irked me. How it got made was it the, the, the president seems to be the one responsible for it, but then it kind of went to the, you know, he had a health issue in December. So it seemed to have gone to the vice provo. Um, and so, or the provo, I don't know how the decision was made. I tried to work my way in and I talked to the board board of governors uh, at a at like physical at physically t- attending a meeting and they wouldn't talk to me <laughs> um mm. but i i don't know like i think i, I raised awareness like a, f- a few people talked to me and I, I think i raised awareness of some issues that were troubling mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's what caused it i like to give myself a pat on the back but 
sometimes it's like it's like in those movies where you know the, the superhero thinks they're doing something but there's like there's a force in the background that really anyhow shortly after my yeah. visit they changed the policy i was like yes it's working um, <laughs> well i i was thinking it was because of my interview with dr matt strauss and kendra hancock that uh was like a few days before they they stopped the mandate and i said oh man that's great i had a great you, no. that that's a great interview i didn't know you had that that would be very persuasive because he's right matt strauss is a uh, dr strauss is the right he's the he was or is the um responsible for the health unit there and right yeah yeah it's uh it was a, a great so that interview. definitely but, but you know what it, here's a perfect example of how the public at large, or not, I say public at large, but a number of us who have been advocating for freedom just coalesced around this issue and said, hey, guys, what are you doing? Exactly. Exactly. That's It's the targeted approach. That's, I think, what's, what's working. Again, mm. so with me, uh, I did the same thing with the Toronto Board of Health. I was like, within four mm. hours of my, of my five-minute delegation to the Board of Health, they removed the, pol the mandates for uh, the City of Toronto employees. And then when City of Toronto dropped it, then TTC dropped it and Windsor dropped theirs. I was like, yes, all for my five. I'm like, the ego gets, gets the head of you. It's like, you know what? Everyone was pressuring the Toronto Board of Health. Everyone was pressuring TTC. Everyone was pressuring Windsor. So it's yeah. a matter of people aligning forces and, and really using these tools of democracy that have been bent and warped as a result of this pandemic and, mm. and using them for change. And so if you and you I are on the, on the, doing the, Twitter's, you know, showing people how to do this. I think that's a great value add to the public. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, the, the amazing thing is, is that we can look back now and we can say, Hey, what worked, what didn't work. And what we can see, uh, especially on this issue is that having, um, having individuals who are willing to stand up and say, look guys, this is too much has had an impact it would appear and that is can give us a going back to the lesson you mentioned at the beginning with the whole idea of hope is that you know what if canadian citizens will rise up and speak their mind things can happen and i think that's that's very important exactly and, and that's why when you know back in november 2021 i was like I was, you know, I want my own business. Like if somebody else is going to speak up, you know, December, yep. January, like, wait a second. Like, you know, Dr. Moore just got on and said, it's not, these vaccines aren't stopping transmission. You know, you got to, so we got to get out there and let people know. And that's kind of where I started. Like I called law yeah. times. I'm like, I'm like, we've got to let people. And so law times, you know, that's law times published me. And, and then twice, they were very helpful getting the word out, you know, employers got to loosen up on their mandates. It doesn't make sense anymore. And I know people say like mandates never made sense, different knowledge at different times. When, when Dr. Moore in February made it very clear that, um, you know, it wasn't the goal of the, the mandates weren't working, stopping transmission. That's mm -hmm. when a lot of people needed to speak out. And um, when I saw that that wasn't happening, I was like, okay, gosh, I guess I have to, you know, as, as a lawyer slash advocate, use my knowledge to spread the word. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, um, there were some other um, neat things, of course, that had happened throughout 2022. We finally got the travel, um, the travel vaccine mandate taken away. Um, and that I think I, I give uh, kudos to that hockey player that was uh, 
in the Toronto airport and he broadcast to the world, live streamed his experience of in these outrageous lineups. And it, it just seemed so crazy when uh, Europe had already opened up, um, a lot of the world had opened up and yet Canada was closed uh, when it came to the travel mandates, even within the country. And it just all didn't make any sense. So I gotta say, I'm glad you're raising this point on the on the travel, the airplane mandates. Um, I think it was a, uh, what's his name, Jocko. Um, there's a, uh, it's a he's an Navy SEAL guy, um, Jocko something Willings. Anyhow, his view is that whenever you're being, you know, if you're if you're ever threatened in any way, the first thing you should always do is just leave the situation. Like if there's ever mm-hmm. an encounter where you like to always leave, that's your first show. You don't want to. So the in everything that the government's been doing that I had took issue with, okay, you could always leave. I could always leave the country if I, you know, anyone could always leave. But when they, when the government took away the right to leave, that's when I realized like, this is now really concerning to me because if you can't Mm -hmm. leave, that's your, I always say just leave. But if now you're saying people can't leave um, by the most common ways that they normally would leave, which is a plane, a train or a a big ship or boat. If you're not like that really, um, I was like, that was channeled all my uh, concern about all the policies was now you're not even letting people leave. Um, Mm. And unless they have a second passport. Uh, And even at that, it's unclear if the second passport would have allowed you to leave the country. Um, Right. But that's why I'm I'm obsessed with second passports lately. (laughs) Um, Third passport. So the point is, my all my attention and my my concern was raised around those, uh, those travel restrictions. And once the, I was just like, we just got to get those re- and recognition that those were wrong, especially for 12 year old kid, 13 year old kids that couldn't even travel mm-hmm. to visit. And then yeah. people weren't even aware of how brutal they were. Like you couldn't even visit a, to see, to go to a funeral. Um, no, no exemptions for funerals or for like, or for, or for take care of sick friends or family. And I tweeted a lot about it and uh, we got a lot of support on Twitter for that. And it's, it's still not getting recognized as a colossal mistake. Um, right. And, you know, maybe we don't need to have that recognition, but I think at some point, really, we do. It needs to be, there's, I don't know, I was going to say it needs to be legislated, but people are going to say, oh, but you have the charter. Like, so Bill of Rights, you're like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that raises another point about 2022, and that is with respect to the charter. I had a lot of people say to me, you know, Barry, what's going on? Uh, don't we have a charter of rights? But here's the thing. Um, we have a government you know, any government, the executive, is to uh, follow the law. But if they are willing to push the envelope on the law, then the charter takes a long time because the, you know, the wheels of justice are go very slow, but they do go fine. But nevertheless, it takes a long time in in order to challenge the executive. So if the executive power, i.e. the prime minister, and the cabinet, the governor and council, as they're known uh, legally, uh, if they are willing to uh, push against the charter rights, push the envelope, because they figure, you know, it's a, uh, a reasonable and justified limit in a free and democratic society, um, then it's, it's going to take months, if not years, before that uh, ultimately gets adjudicated uh, to the Supreme Court of Canada. And so it becomes extremely important to understand what is the philosophy of the executive uh, in enforcing the law, right. in following the law, 
Right? And there's and and I think that is a lesson that we have learned this year is to recognize that hey, we've got to be very careful who we put in as our executive, and their understanding and their philosophy of how they will uh, be respectful of the law. But Barry, talk to any Canadian who's been impacted by charter breaches for the past 10, 15 years. They'll just say, welcome to like, you know, get with the program. We could have told you this ages ago. Yeah. Just because of your privilege, you never experienced it, you know, but but it's been going on Fair for enough. ages, right? So, um, yep. and, and my privilege too. Like I'd, I'd, I'd never been shoved off the sidewalk before. Like that was a first for me. I'm like, uh, mm. this was a two hour peaceful protest. Like what's going on here? Like they're like, no, it's time to leave. You know, so mm. our charter rights have never been uh, violated. So now, okay, now I got a flavor for it. Um, and then people are coming to me like, yeah, look, go back. So, uh, you know, farmers who had property confiscated um, in, you know, I forget what it was, 10, 15 years ago, trucker, like there's so many different, you know, um, groups and folks that have been, um, that have seen that the charter, you know, G20 protests, um, where it was the entire mm. charter was just gamed. Um but uh, it can be gamed, and we didn't see, we didn't see it. We never maybe we never experienced it. And but maybe the magnitude in this because of COVID had, was you know unprecedented. So maybe the magnitude and the diversity of people that were mm. affected by the gaming of the charter. Because yeah, it's it's not only the, you know this affected other communities, right? Uh, you know, um, right. visible minorities were, were affected by these the you know the um, the COVID uh, um, passport systems. Uh, COVID requirements, like everyone's affected in, in different ways. So, mm. yeah. No, and that's, you, you raise a great point. Uh, I mean, because of the widespread nature of this um, pandemic and the widespread nature of the government's overreach, um, a lot of us who have not run into problems with the law, we've, we've now saw firsthand what happens. Um, and, and I think that's a, uh, uh, a very good point, and that uh, that there was uh, something else that came to my mind um, as you were mentioning that 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 raises another question, and uh, and that is just the recognition that oftentimes governments are able to get away with their pushing the envelope if mm -hmm. by doing so they only affect the minority of people. So, in other words the rest of the majority would look at it and say, well, you know what, if they violated the law or if the government pushed on that, well, that's okay because it didn't affect me. And, right. and it's that kind of thing. Like, for example, I think if everybody in the country had their bank accounts frozen, uh, the government would be done within a couple of days. But right. because it's only 57 people and 240 accounts or whatever it was, uh, that were frozen, uh, then that's okay because, uh, well, you know, it didn't affect me. And I think it's this uh, important reality check that we need that, hey, listen, if the government has violated the law over here, and even though it's only a small number of people, that principle, that rule has been broken and it does affect me because in the long term, it sets a precedent and a future government may and well um, do something that's going to affect my own personal rights, my own bank account. Right. 
and, and look, I'll give you an example where this is a uh, something that was affecting only uh, uh, you know a minority community, but nobody really cared because it wasn't affecting them. So this is the uh, you know when the, the police were stopping um, you know black uh, youth and asking them for ID, the carding principle, uh, carding mm. uh, policy. Um, it's a pretty invasive uh, you know um, procedure policy. Um, if someone's not there's no reasonable reasonable or probable ground to stop someone, detain them arrest, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um, yep. That is something that, you know, wouldn't normally, um, what do you call it, in, until you, you see it on a wider scale, you don't realize what exactly is going on with that type of policy. Um, mm. It's basically, it's a form of arrest in a way, because you're stopping right. someone, you're going to arrest them if they try to leave, potentially, mm-hmm. or using some intimidation tactics. So yes, once these, um, once these charter issues are, uh, you know, experienced by a broader segment of the population, I think it, you know, it takes people out of their silos and expands their awareness, uh, you know, their awareness in some regards, and it, it expands empathy. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, now I can I can appreciate things in different ways that I, I hadn't before. Right. But yet at the same time, we see that the government still is riding very high in the polls and the approval ratings with respect to the imposition of the uh, Emergencies Act. Um, uh, yeah. Show, show me the polls. I want to see those in, in detail. Barry. <laughs> I'm not believing it. No way. OK. Maybe. maybe you know, maybe. no. Yeah. And, and you know what? Fair point, because a lot of people uh, we we just had um, a couple of weeks ago the Globe and Mail uh, released um, an opinion poll uh, by uh, Nana's uh, research, um, but you know that even there, even what you just replied uh, concerning the poll was say, yeah, okay, well, let me see the poll, let me see the questions, let me see. Like right away, uh, there is this sense of. Uh, uh, of cynicism or not cynicism, but uh, okay, uh, an incredul- incredulity in the sense of, right. you know, I'm not so sure I can accept that. Um, and that is something we have uh, picked up, I think, from 2022 as well, right? I mean, we saw how government has been, in many ways, uh, the media um, has, in essence, been kind of like the right arm of the government sometimes. Right. And as you see, um, once you have to start getting into the details and you start cross-examining or seeing cross-examinations of a lot of these things that the JCCF is led and the uh, Democracy Fund is led, once you see the transcript where they're actually examining these folks and you see, yeah, there actually is a reason to cross-examine and to really understand the decision and where the edicts came from. Because, Mm. yeah, what we found is the edict ended up, you know, some of these things, they just came from the top cabinet confidence like there was no science for yeah. some of these things so the yeah. same thing with as something as simple as you, of, of, of an opinion you just formed about uh, the majority of liberals seem to support um the use of the emergencies act well okay if i really had i'm thinking like a litigator in 2022 2023 i'm like who's on the board of nanos who's how did you do the surveys um i want to get into the nitty-gritty and yeah it's you there's no end to the work you can do to if you stop trusting authority in this country there's there's no end to it and so mm-hmm. now it's 2023 is going to be about finding this new balance of how can we go back to trusting authority in this country? And because really this country is based on a system of, of chain of command and authority with, with the head being the king of the crown, you know, the crown in right of, right. Um, so yep. 
we're going to have to rebuild this almost like at every level of every institutional level. And that's what I'm seeing literally on the ground. I lost trust in the board of direct mm-hmm. board. And no offense. I love a, you know, a couple of guys or a couple of folks on the board of directors of board governors of Western, like, but there's a lot of trust that has been lost um, either because people absconded, they were busy with other things or, um, or they turned a blind eye, but um, to rebuild the trust and the certification of things that come out of these organizations, um, that's going to require some work. Like even now I'm looking on mm-hmm. recently saw on, on the uh, Ontario Hospital Association. I, re- I, just, I just learned they published uh, uh, December 9th, 2022. Um, they published their um, opinion that, you know, um, vaccine mandates in certain hospitals is not crazy uh, or, or seem to support, seem to suggest they support it, but I can't really trust that letter. I'm like, who wrote it? You know, who um, mm-hmm. did, did this go to the board? Like did actually doctors vote on this? So no offense to all these things that you hear in the news. So when the news says Ontario Health uh, Hospital Association supports, like, where does it say that? Who said that? What did they, who was involved in approving that communication? So I'm skeptical, but it's a healthy skepticism. I'm willing to listen. Right. I'm not going to be stubborn if I see, well, actually, I take that back. <laughs> if, <laughs> if the OHA says mandates are still sensible, I'm going to have to have a little chat with the entire board. Yeah. <laughs> like it or not, I'm going to have to get in there somehow. You know, I think uh, that is another good lesson uh, from 2022 is this idea of trusting experts. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the lack of trusting experts, uh, because you know we have we have been so conditioned uh, over the last number of years. You know, if you got your PhD or you've got your MD or you got whatever D, um, you know the reality is, yeah, okay. So you've studied for a while, but to say that you are an expert that you can understand everything that's going to fall from the government decision that's going to be made on the basis of your opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, We recognize now that there's a lot of unintended consequences. And we see, we saw oodles of that throughout 2022. In fact, I would suggest that the, even the trucker uh, freedom convoy itself was an unintended consequence and things have happened uh, as a result of the inability of the experts to be able to see the bigger picture. Because if you are so-called an expert, you can only be an expert of a small item uh, in the grand scheme of things. But even then, as any of us who've gone through school uh, know that we cannot even, uh, there's so much more that we don't know uh, when we go through our education. And, And I think the the level of confidence we have in experts has also been challenged this year. Yeah. I mean, that's, this is a great topic of experts because I, I really do value experts and I like challenging experts and talking to experts. I got the, there's a, a whole textbook for lawyers on how to, you know, talk to experts and how do you, right. Um, right. So yep. no lawyer would ever rely on an expert, just tell, ask the, the, an expert to tell them what to think or what to do. You have to challenge them. And so really what concerned me with a lot of expert testimony uh, or even interacting with experts when the public would interact with experts, the most disconcerting thing for me was when experts would resort to um, low-level replies, uh, dissing people or dissing the other experts, not based on any, not based on content, but based on character um, Mm -hmm. or based on 
um, I, I don't like non-relevant items to the actual opinion that you, calling them a conspiracy theory, like these name callings didn't do anything to build public to build public trust in experts. Like it's not about conspiracy theory or not. It's like what is the argument? Like what is the concern being raised by this particular you know um, individual or other expert? And you know ch challenge them on that. So you know and, and then they've just managed to even in, in even in my own mind. Some experts like, I'm like, yeah, they, it, you can't even rely on them now in court because they've been smeared, not for the content of their opinions, but just because, uh, I don't even know, like like Dr. Bridal or Dr. Malone, like these guys, yeah, were, these are reputable experts, like they're knowledgeable and their their arguments are coherent. They very rarely attack the, uh, the others, like the, the, their their opponents uh, personally, although lapses, but, but for the most part, um, I haven't heard like a good interaction address the substance of their arguments except to say when you, you google it you know the, the all the all the the wikipedia's just go after the fact that they've <laughs> others have said that they're this that and the other, but they don't actually challenge the substance of their views so right that's i feel like yeah and yeah go ahead sorry no i just feel like if you're going to challenge an expert um you or, or you know if you're going to um if you're going to attack an expert don't attack just the fact that they're a conspiracy theorist or that they're associated with this that, that. attack the substance of what they are saying that has to be a rule that has to be a, a rule etched in every expert's mind you know right. what is the substance does it have scientific merit and that's it yeah no right and, and that's yeah you know absolutely absolutely now um as we look at um 2023 and one of the things you point out already is that okay we need to get back to figuring out how we can find the balance trusting in government trusting in the experts trusting in the various institutions uh, a lot of people have been talking about well you know uh we need to have a a sense of amnesty uh, an, an idea that we need to uh you know uh forgive and um you know, let's not uh, go trying to go back over these waters. People are tired of the issue now. Um, and yes, you know, mistakes may have been made. Uh, yes, you know, things weren't exactly as they seemed and all of that kind of thing. What's your thought with respect to this idea of amnesty? I mean, I, I have to post on this. I have a, a tweet prepared on this. I, um, I'm fully in favor of, of forgiveness and amnesty. I don't think society would function if it weren't for amnesty and forgiveness. Right. Um, I agree. And so the only question is um, what that will look like, you know, mm. with the mistakes that were done with the indigenous um, community, they called it truth and reconciliation. Um, but so, so, you know, and, and, you know, some will say it's not obviously not comparable, but mm -hmm. the idea is that it's about forgiveness. Um, and I think mistakes were have to be acknowledged as having been made for, if not, we're going to get like, we're going to get nowhere. Um, yeah. But at that, I agree with you that forgive. So, you know, um, basically acknowledgement, there has to be acknowledgement that what was done was not correct. There has to be compensation. Uh, and that's, you know, that's key. And I say that not just because I have a vested interest in, you know, uh, mm -hmm. as a lawyer getting, uh, you know, contingency uh, arrangements from some of these settlements. But um, the idea is that um, no one should have ever been terminated from any job. Yeah. Um, anyone who's been injured should should be getting compensation. Um, there has to be an acknowledgement of 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 moral, uh, of physical injury, of legal injury. 
um, like I say, all the all the soldiers that were, you know, the three, four hundred soldiers that were kicked out for miscon, mm. like no possible way on this planet will that ever be sustainable to think that soldiers that didn't want to get vaccinated with, you know, with this with a product that wasn't really didn't have the long term, you know, um, the long term data available to give everyone mm -hmm. the assurance they need that they wanted to take it. Um, if we can't acknowledge that that needs to be compensated for, um, that's going to be a problem. And so yeah. I would work with any government, you know, whether it's liberal, you know, um, conservative people, there's, they've got to compensate people for what they did. And I think mm. anyone in power needs to know that and acknowledge that and the sooner the better. And yeah. so that's kind of, that's the mission of lie and advocacy. <laughs> yeah, no. I, and I fully support that. So there's this idea, it's extremely important to be forgiving, yes, but there's also needs to be proper justice. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. And that's okay. that's what, what does justice look like? I don't, yeah, I, I'll leave that to the, uh, leave that to the experts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's fascinating as we come out of this. Uh, what do you do? You have any any thoughts at all uh, as to what we can expect in the in the next year? As we, no doubt, we'll still have to be dealing with the fallout of twenty twenty two. We're going to have the Rulo's uh, report coming up in February. Um, any any thoughts on on what lies ahead for us? I've been so wrong. I'm even scared to like. <laughs> <laughs> to try to predict what lies ahead like back in yeah. february i was like okay public acknowledgement the transmission doesn't it doesn't stop transmission so all the all the mandates are going to end right yeah so um yeah. that's taken longer than i thought 2023 i think there's going to be more of uh an awakening an acknowledgement um that these uh, the, these jabs were um not what we everyone hoped they would be and a slow walking back of what was done exactly what that's going to look like i'm not sure because it's kind of we're also the we're the a bit of the authors as lawyers and as you know through your channel you're we're, we're authors of how this can play out as well what i would like to see is just everyone unwinding their positions um the sooner the better um mm. but and, and a return especially poor folks in bc but i think the idea is to have everyone walk things back and yeah um yeah okay all right. Well, you know, it's been quite a year. I um, One would never have thought uh, this time last year that we would have uh, had what we had ahead of us. Uh, it's been uh, very trying on so many families, um, really over the last three years, I guess. Um, but anyhow, uh, I, I just want to thank you so much, Daniel, for the great work that you do at Lion Advocacy. It's uh, great reading your um, Twitter posts and, and so on. Is there, uh, where can people reach you? Uh, yeah. On look, social media. Yeah. Go on my Twitter. Like this is my, like I say, this is my advocacy work. So you could learn more about me. And if you want to, you know, um, retain me in my legal capacity, click on the link there and there's more ways you could find me. All right. Just Google mm -hmm. my name. But, uh, but if you want to follow my, my policy work and my, my personal rants on, uh, on, on Twitter, where I share some of my interesting findings. Uh, yeah, it's Lion Advocacy on Twitter. Okay, excellent. Well, I'd like to uh, highly recommend that you do that, folks, because uh, he has a lot of substantive information there, a lot of great analysis, and I think you would uh, very much enjoy what Daniel has to share. Daniel, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to 
our discussions in 2023. Who knows what's coming next? Awesome. For sure. <laughs> Thank you so much, Barry. And thank you for all your work. This is uh, it's a tireless job, so we appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, I want to thank you, our viewers, for being with us today. Uh, you know, all of the various conversations that we have, you may agree or disagree with our guests or with me personally, but we're wanting to have open and honest and transparent dialogue. And today, I think you can see that we had that. And uh, we want to thank you so much for being willing to be part of First Freedoms community and to supporting us. And I encourage you to click on our links and uh, join up on our newsletter uh, so that you can keep informed of what's coming next. And until next time, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians by giving at firstfreedoms.ca.